I invite you this morning to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our series in Paul's epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking this morning at the B part of verse 17, or rather the last um, two clauses of verse 17 up to verse 23, if we get there. Um, But to get the ideas connected, let's read from verse 16. Romans chapter 8 up to verse 23. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. From verses 1 through 17 of Romans 8, Paul had been enumerating some of the glorious blessings of salvation through faith in Christ. In verses 14 through 17, which we considered last week, we saw that among the privileges of believers in Christ, which Paul cited, were the following. Indemnity from slavish dread, verse 15 and the A part. Incorporation into God's family, verse 15b. Intimate approach to the Father, verse 15c. And in verse 17, an inheritance from the Father. Now, to natural human thinking, some would conclude, well, since God has brought believers in Christ into such immense blessings and favor with himself, and since they can, with all assurance and confidence, relate to God as children to a father, and what with their being made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ then they should really know nothing of the pains and frustrations of life. My friends, according to the gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity, this is in fact the way many a Christian in our time thinks. And yet, just the very opposite is true, because according to our text here in Romans chapter 8, particularly with closing clause of verse 17, The Christian is assured of salvation, and though the Christian is assured of an eternity with God in heaven, this in no way precludes suffering. In fact, earlier in Romans chapter 5, Paul made this clear because you'll recall that he cited the many blessings of justification by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, namely, peace with God access to God, hope with respect to the coming glory of God, Paul was careful to 
insert this crucial proviso, Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. It's as though Paul is giving us all the goodies and he says, not only that, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. And now here in Romans chapter 8 verse 17, he does very much the same thing because after stating that as the children of God, we are heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ, he adds, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And implicit in the statement of the Apostle Paul is that for the believer, suffering is inevitable. Suffering is unavoidable. And if the question is asked, why is suffering unavoidable for the believer in Christ? Although Paul doesn't explicitly state the reason, contextually we can derive from this his epistle to the Romans why the Christian must experience suffering. The Christian must experience suffering in this world by virtue of union with Christ. Union with Christ. We have been seeing that as a recurring theme in Paul's letter to the Romans, particularly chapters 6 through 8. And everywhere in the New Testament, there is the reminder that suffering is part and parcel of what it means to be Christian. It is part and parcel of the Christian's earthly journey. And in light of the fact that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian experience, the question is, how must we then handle suffering? Note the opening words of verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings, and so on and so forth. We can stop there. For I consider if you mark your Bible, you will want to circle that word, consider. In the Greek, the word, as we pointed out when we were in chapter 6, is an accounting term carrying the idea of adding or summing up like an accountant. It refers to a process of reasoning, of putting together various facts, assessing, for example, the merits the worth and wisdom of conflicting, competing ideas and courses of action so as to come to a right conclusion. This word reckon suggests a mental exercise. It suggests a mental evaluation of circumstances, particularly the circumstances of suffering in this context. And Paul does exactly this kind of analysis. He does this kind of analysis, this kind of reckoning with respect to the sufferings of believers. And what Paul is saying here is this. I've done careful, serious reflection on this matter of suffering as it relates to the child of God. Paul is saying, I've come to a well-thought-out, reasoned conclusion on this matter. And right away, let me point out to you from Paul's statement here concerning his making reckonings, his considering suffering, the principle we gather here is that crucial to our ability to navigate the troubles, the tribulations that come our way as Christians, most vital to our making sense of them is the perspective, the mindset, the kind of thinking we entertain regarding those bitter 
experiences? From what vantage point do we view them? Do we see them as unnecessary and unfortunate annoyances? Or do we see them as necessary and useful experiences? Ordered and designed by the wise, loving, and purposeful providence of God for our good? Do we look at them through the lens of our limited, finite human perspective or finite reason? Or do we look at them from God's perspective? And the truth is, for us to have an accurate perspective of our sufferings, one that will enable us to bear our sufferings, our trials, our tribulations with fortitude, then we must come to the place where we see them from God's vantage point. The place at which we must begin is not our feelings. The place at which we must begin must not be with the situation we are in and our mental assessment of the situation from our finite perspective, but we need to consider, as Paul does, our sufferings from God's vantage point, from God's perspective. And so having considered the sufferings of God's people, what was Paul's conclusion? Paul says, I consider that the sufferings, and he continues, so on and so forth. What was Paul's conclusion, having considered the sufferings of God's people? Well, Paul came to at least six consoling, stabilizing convictions regarding the believer's sufferings. And we'll look at just three of those things that Paul saw with respect to this matter of the Christian's suffering. In the first place, Paul, having considered the sufferings of believers, concluded by way of conviction that the believer's sufferings is a participation in Christ's suffering. The believer's suffering is a participation in Christ's suffering. We see that in the B part of verse 17. In suffering, believers in Christ partner with Christ in suffering. Let me say this necessarily so. Why? We recall that in Romans chapter 6, the teaching was that when we become saved through faith in Christ... We become united with Christ. We become united with Christ in his death and resurrection. We have been stressing this whole matter of the believer's union with Christ. And as a result of our union with Christ, the word of God teaches and is teaching here that we share his life, we share, you know this, we share his righteousness because his righteousness our having been saved by faith in Christ, his righteousness was placed to our account. We are his inheritance, as we see in verse 17. Indeed, we become so intertwined with him, so enmeshed with him, as it were, that we inevitably share his sufferings. The kinds of sufferings which, of course, except for the cross, that of the cross he experienced when he was here on earth. In their sufferings, believers participate in Christ's sufferings in as much as the glory, watch this, 
They participate, that is, believers in Christ participate in Christ's sufferings inasmuch as the glory for which they are destined is the very glory that followed Christ's sufferings. Because notice in the text, as Paul says there in verse 17, we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we have been implicated by virtue of union with Christ. We were implicated with Christ in his death. We were implicated with Christ in his resurrection. We are implicated with Christ in his righteousness. We are implicated with Christ in the inheritance because we are co-heirs with Christ. And Paul says to cap it all, we not only partner with him in these respects, but we participate with him. We partner with him in his suffering. He says there in verse 17, we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now right off the bat, the question becomes, if Christ, or better yet, since Christ is now in glory, having suffered once for sins, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, Luke 24, 26, 1 Peter 1 verse 11, how then can Paul speak of the believer's suffering with Christ? Wouldn't that mean then that Christ continues and is continuing to suffer? Well, to begin with, how does scripture address this matter of Christ's suffering? Yes, he suffered once for sins. The death he died, he dies no more. He's now exalted in glory. And yet scripture teaches that though he is now the exalted Lord of heaven, Colossians 1.24 suggests that in a spiritual sense his sufferings continue in the lives of his people. Paul is writing to Colossian Christians and here's what Paul says in Colossians 1.24. He says this, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, here comes, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying here this. Yes, Christ died, he suffered, and his suffering was capital, his suffering was substantive. But Paul is saying, look, in another sense, his sufferings have not really ended. His sufferings continue through the sufferings of his people. Now, you'll want to write alongside Colossians 1.24, Acts 22, verses 6 through 8. Because in Acts 22, 6 through 8, we see a further suggestion that Christ continues, even to this hour, to suffer through the lives of his people. As Saul, who would later become Paul, was journeying, Toward Damascus, and you know why he was journeying toward Damascus. He was journeying on a mission to persecute Christians, to have them imprisoned, to have them killed. And Paul records that while he was so doing, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around him. And falling to the ground, Paul heard a voice from heaven saying to him, He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when he inquired, who are you, Lord? What was the response he received? I am Jesus, who of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Where was Jesus at this time? He was in heaven, of course. He is glorified. He was and is glorified, exalted. So we have in these references a suggestion, the idea that in some respects, Christ continues to suffer in the lives of his people. Now, let me say this. That's huge. Because based on what scripture is suggesting here, beloved, this certainly should be a source of comfort to us as we go through the trials, the tribulations, the testings, the heartaches, the pains, the frustrations of this life. Because what that tells us is this, that even though he is now the exalted Lord of heaven, he deigns to sympathize with us to enter into our pains, our hurts, our heartaches, so that what was said in the Old Testament of him in all their afflictions, that is, in the afflictions of his people, he himself was afflicted. Christ cares so much for us that the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4 verse 15 that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He is touched with our weaknesses. He knows our pains. He knows our sorrows. He knows our heartaches. And that should be a great comfort and blessing to us as his people. Now here in Romans 8:17, Christians are called to participate with him. In his suffering. So it is a bidirectional transaction. He's suffering through the lives of his people, and Christians are called to participate, to partner with him in suffering. Now, besides Romans 8, verse 17, there are other scriptures which underscore this truth that through suffering, believers in Christ participate in the sufferings of Christ. And let me share some of them with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5, here's what Paul says. For as we share abundantly, we share, he says, abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10, Paul speaks Along this line, he says this concerning himself, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, his desire, what you remember his desire? He says, I not only want to know him, but I want to know the power of his resurrection and I want to know the fellowship. In other words, the word fellowship means what? Partnership. I want to partner with him. I want to participate in his sufferings being made conformable to his death. First Peter chapter 4, 12 through 13, we are told that far from being an abnormality that has come upon us as Christians, suffering should be an occasion of rejoicing. Why? Insofar as we share, Peter says, Christ's suffering. Paul is saying, as I consider this whole thing of suffering in the lives of God's people, I reckon, I consider that their suffering constitutes a partnership with Christ in his suffering. Well, the question becomes, how do believers in Christ suffer with him? That's a good question. How do we suffer with Christ? How do we share or participate in his sufferings? First of all, we participate with Christ by undergoing passions for his sake. 
we participate with Christ by undergoing persecution for his sake. Jesus made this clear that being his disciples, that being associated with him, would invite suffering for his sake. For example, John chapter 15, verses 18, 20, and 21, here's what our Lord Jesus said. He says this, so the next time we are being persecuted, remember these words of our Lord Jesus. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. In Matthew 5 verse 11, he says, blessed are you when men revile you, when they persecute you, when they say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. In Matthew 10, 17, 18, 22, he warned his disciples, he says this, Beware of men, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So the believer suffers with Christ, first of all, by undergoing persecutions for him by undergoing persecutions for him. But secondly, the believer suffers with Christ not only by undergoing persecution, but this is very, very important. The believer in Christ participates in Christ's suffering by patiently and prayerfully doing so, that is, undergoing persecution as did Christ. Because 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, tells us this. He says, for when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Here we see, my friends, that amidst his sufferings, even when sinners were hostile against him unjustly, even when he was suffering at the hands of wicked men, he was non-retaliatory. In fact, the word of God tells us that he rested in complete dependence on his father, entrusted himself to his father, even as he endured from sinners hostility, great hostility. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, he prayed that they might be what? Forgiven. Luke chapter 22, verse 34, he said this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let me say this. One might be undergoing persecution for Christ's sake. But here's the point. We're going to fall short of partnering with Christ if we do not approach those persecutions with the attitude that our Lord Jesus did. Namely what? Being non-retaliatory and also what? Entrusting ourselves to God, our Father, in prayer. And beloved, our taking on such attitude when being persecuted for his name's sake is part of what it means to take up our cross and follow him. A partner with him in his afflictions, Mark, you, we need to remember this, partnering with Christ in his affliction. Look at what Paul says of this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He says, for to you it has been granted for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul says it has been given to you. It has been granted to you to not only believe on him, but to also suffer for his name's sake. Interestingly, that word in the Greek, forgive, it carries the idea of that something that is given freely, graciously. Paul is saying that this 
This idea that we suffer for Christ is something that's graciously given to us. And the very idea behind that statement of Paul is this. It suggests that for the believer, suffering for Christ and suffering with Christ is to be regarded as what? A blessing. It is to be regarded as a blessing, not a curse. It is to be regarded as a privilege, as really a badge of honor that should be embraced and that should inspire what? Joy. Joy. No wonder it was that after the apostles, you recall in Acts chapter 4 or 5, they are about to, after they had been beaten and commanded not to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what Luke tells us about them after they were harassed by the authorities? Here's what Luke says. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for that name. I don't know about your particular circumstances, but it may be, my friends, it may be that you are going through something that could be called persecution. Someone knows you to be a believer and they're taking you for a ride. They're giving you a hard time. They're rubbing you the wrong way. There's constant antagonism. I want to remind you this morning, based on what Paul says, by virtue of Paul's reckoning, Paul says, I've thought this thing through carefully. I've summed up everything. And here is my conviction regard this. Sufferings that we endure as Christians constitute a partnership with Christ. Suffering endured for Christ is the way in which we participate in suffering with him, but not just suffer with him through persecution, but enduring those persecutions patiently, patiently entrusting ourselves to God. The Christian suffering is a participation in Christ's suffering. That's the first point we glean from what Paul says he considers concerning suffering. Secondly, Paul reckons he considers that the Christian suffering is a passing temporal experience. The suffering of the believer is not only a participation with Christ's suffering, but it is a passing temporal experience. Look at the A part of verse 18. There, Paul speaks of the sufferings of this present time. What is meant by this present time? It refers to what Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 describes as the present evil age. You see, when we're reading scripture, we can't just gloss over and take for granted. If we were to take a concordance or a cross-reference, we would come across Galatians 1 and verse 4. And we see this expression, this present evil age. So here's the point. This present time that Paul is talking about is an evil age. As well, it is that period between the incarnation when the kingdom of God was inaugurated and the return of Christ when the kingdom of God will be consummated. This present time is two things. It is kingdom time, but it's also an evil time. It's a time in which we are living in the already because already from God's vantage point, we are seated in the heavenly places, but not yet, because that reality won't be consummated until the coming of Christ. This present time, Paul says, how does he characterize this present time? 
he says it's a time of suffering. Because notice what he says, the sufferings of this present time. This present age, beloved, is an age of suffering. This present age is not, for the believer, an age of triumphalism. What do I mean by that? You listen to some Christians and you think they are, you think the kingdom of God has been consummated. And you hear them talk about kingdom living and taking charge. Now here's the point. I understand what they're saying. We understand what they're saying. But listen, we're not in that stage in which we are presently the church triumphant. We are the church militant. We are at war. We are in a battle. We are resisting. We are fighting against principalities and powers. And here's the point. That reality engages us in a life of continual suffering, a life of continuing trials, a life of continuing tribulation. Paul says the sufferings of this present time. Well, what are some of the sufferings of this present time? Can we quickly list them? Number one, there is a suffering of persecution, which we learn from 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, will be experienced by all who live godly in Christ Jesus. For all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The tragedy is today many people, many Christians are complicit with the evil. Rather than being persecuted by the world, they are being what? Pampered by the world. They are palatable to the world. And such persecution, which may entail, Matthew 5, verse 11, verbal abuse, insults, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, public ridicule, Hebrews 10, 33, seizure of personal belongings, Hebrews 10, verse 34, imprisonment and infliction of bodily harm, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 36, and yes, the big one, martyrdom, martyrdom. For we who are always being given, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. It might not be true of us here in the United States right now, but this is very real in many countries where Christians are being tortured. And not just tortured, but martyred. In fact, later on in Romans chapter 8, verse 36, Paul is going to say this. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Thank God for the freedoms we have in this country. And let me say this, my friends, you watch trends in our time. Those freedoms are quickly passing away. And that's why we are going to have to get serious in this time. Because here's the truth. Living for Christ, if we're, if we're planning to live for Christ, to be identified with him, it means what? Partnering with him in suffering. It means partnering with him in persecution. For all who live godly in Christ, not maybe, but will be persecuted. You take a stand for Jesus Christ. You ensure that you're going to live for Christ. Here's the point. Be prepared to suffer. There's a suffering that comes not only in the form of per persecution, but listen, perplexity of mind. Perplexity of mind. You say, what are you talking about? Such state of mind, such perplexity that comes from the crushing, oppressive weight of trials and tribulations. Somebody says, well, Christians are not supposed to get to the place where they are down in the dumps. They are not to get to the place where they are so overwhelmed that they are discouraged. Come on, you're a child of God. Cheer up. 
The Bible doesn't teach that. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 6, even though you have a great inheritance, even though you are destined for glory, right now you are in heaviness, you are in grief through manifold temptations. Here's the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Here's what Paul says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. That's the Apostle Paul. In fact, he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse, verses 8 through 12, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. There's a suffering that comes in the form of physical infirmities, physical infirmities, sicknesses, diseases. Somebody says a Christian is not supposed to be sick because they have, they're under the anointing. They have the Holy Spirit. They must come against it. Have you heard that? If you, if, you, if you can't come against it, then you're not spirit-filled. But what does the Bible teach? Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It, 16, he tells us that while our inner self is being renewed day by day, that is, though our souls, our spirits are being renewed, strengthened, what's happening? He says our outer self is wasting away. Every year, it, it's not perceptible on a daily basis. Not even a monthly basis, not every six months, but ever so often. You know, you take up your picture. Somebody says, I can't believe that's Patrick. Huh, you had, well, this is man-made, really. <laughs> but, you know, somebody says, boy, your the features are so, what's the point? The point is this, every day, beloved, whether or not we realize it, every day, in fact, truth is, every minute, you know, we are wasting away. And oftentimes, it doesn't dawn on us. Until a few years down the road, we just discover after, oh boy, it's so hard to get up. I'm not talking as one who's been there. I'm not there yet. Still a young man. But Paul says here that, that, that this present age, being an evil age, it's an age in which the God of this world is on the run, is on the loose. He is walking about seeking whom he may devour. It's a world, it's an age, this present age is one of suffering. Suffering of all kinds, physical infirmities. And this clearly says to us that being Christian doesn't insulate us from illnesses, doesn't shield us from even the most debilitating, deadly diseases. As I've often said it, there are some things for which we pray, some ailments that we're not going to get cured, we're not going to get healed. And it's not a lack of faith. It is biblical realism. It is not God's will to heal every single instance. Indeed, and I'm going to wind down now because it's, it's going to really take time to go through other things we have to say. But indeed, here's the point. Even though he was a faithful servant of God, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul knew times of physical ailment. In fact, he tells the Galatian Christians that it was an infirmity that brought him to preach the gospel to them. Galatians 4.13, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. He had this gnawing situation, perhaps some ailment. It seemed like it was some ailment. He says, I beg God three times that it might depart from me. And all the Lord said to him, yes, the Lord did answer, but not in the way he expected. He says, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Here's what Paul says. Most gladly then, I will bear my infirmities. For when I'm weak, then am I strong in the Lord. So did Timothy. Timothy was a godly man. Timothy was a pastor, and yet he was constantly beset with what? Stomach 
issues and frequent ailments, 1 Timothy 5.23. So did Trophimus, you remember? Though Paul had the gift of healing, yet Paul, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 20, left him at Miletus sick. Paul says, I reckon, you see, I, I come to the conviction that the sufferings of this present time. What is he saying? This is a time not for triumphalism. This is a time to engage sin, the darkness around, and that will necessarily bring us into suffering. The good news this morning is this, that we suffer with Christ. We suffer for him, we suffer with him, and his grace is sufficient. May the Lord bless these words to our hearts.